Please turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, this morning we are looking at the last few verses, verses 18 through 24. Ephesians 6, verses 18 through 24, please give your full attention to God's word. We're picking up mid-sentence, but Paul says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak so that you also may know how I am doing and what I, how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. A couple of years ago during the pandemic, my wife and I took up the hobby of bike riding. It's a good exercise, good for us to get out, get our bodies in better shape, get out in nature, see God's creation. There's great bike paths, not only here in State College, but rails to trails throughout all the state that we've really enjoyed. It's really added a, a wonderful dimension to our lives. The only thing I don't like about bike riding is the helmet that I have to wear. You know, motorcycle helmets are cool. Bike riding helmets are goofy. but they are necessary, and I've learned that, and I've come to appreciate the protection that they give to my wife and myself. There was a recent National Institute of Health study that found that wearing a bike helmet reduces the chances of head injury by 48%, reduces the chances of a serious head injury by 60%, and the chances of other serious injury or death by 34%. I share this with you to say that the more aware we are of the danger and how vulnerable we are in any situation, the more willing we are to even look silly to take on protection. That's a good spiritual lesson as well. We saw last week as we looked at verses 10 through 17 that Paul ends this letter to the Ephesian church by telling us that we are at war every day. We are walking into danger the moment we wake up, even while we sleep. We are in danger from the spiritual forces that are against us. What Paul calls the cosmic powers over this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is what it means to walk by faith, that we understand that what we can see with our physical eyes is not that we all have to, all we have to deal with, and that's a lot. But there are spiritual forces of evil that are against us, seeking to destroy us. 
Paul says that we need to stand firm in the midst of those spiritual dangers and attacks. We need to stand firm by putting on what he calls the spiritual armor of God. A belt, a breastplate, shoes, shield, helmet, sword. These spiritual things that represent, as we saw last week, the truth of God's word as we face these dangers and attacks. The assurance of our salvation in Christ, being sure about the gospel. And thirdly, we saw last week, it's not only about being sure of the truth and sure of our salvation, but sure that God is with us, that we live by faith in his abiding presence with us. In verses 18 and 19, Paul, after listing these different articles of a Roman soldier's armor and comparing them to the spiritual strengths that we need to go to battle, he then lists something that's, that is just as essential, just as important for facing these spiritual battles every day, prayer. It is interesting, and every commentator that you check is going to tell you, it's interesting that Paul doesn't relate prayer to any article of a soldier's armor. It's part of going to battle, but it's not something he relates to any particular part of a, of a soldier's armor. And generally they agree, the commentators agree, that the reason for that is that prayer is the means by which we apply the armor to ourselves. It's the way we put the armor on. That's why we pray every day, is so that we can apply the protection of the belt of truth and the sword of, of faith, or sword of the spirit, the word of God and the shield of faith and the helmet of hope. That's how we do it, is by prayer. It's the means by which we put on the armor. Prayer is an indicator of your spiritual health and your preparedness every day. John Stott, in his commentary on this passage, says, It is by prayer that we wait on the Lord and renew our strength. Prayer is inherently an act of humility. Prayer is contrary to the pride that still lurks so much within us. Prayer is an act of submission. It's a renunciation of our natural tendency to be self-sufficient. Prayer is saying to the Lord, I need you every moment of every day. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6, it says, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. And that's what prayer is, acknowledging God. Acknowledging who he is, Acknowledging who you are in his presence and acknowledging how much you need him. As we look at these last few comments at the end of chapter 6, we're talking about how we pray. As a matter of fact, Sinclair Ferguson, he wrote in his book on Ephesians, this is scripture's most comprehensive single sentence on how we are to pray. There's so much instruction in God's word about how to pray, but he compacts, you know, Paul puts so much in just a couple of verses here that covers all the basics of what it means to pray. Something that we all struggle with. 
I don't think I've ever met another Christian who said, you know what I'm really good at? I'm good at praying. We all have this sense of inadequacy when it comes to our prayer life. But that's because it's meant to be a lifelong lesson, a lifelong learning of what it means to pray and depend upon the Lord. So what is the kind of prayer that strengthens us and protects us in the midst of the dangers we face? Paul gives us answers here to three questions. First of all, when are we to pray? Secondly, how are we to pray? And thirdly, for whom are we to pray? So let's start with the first one. When are we to pray, according to Paul? He says, pray at all times. Verse 18, pray at all times. Pray always. Almost everyone, almost everyone in the world prays in those foxhole moments. When you're facing a, a crisis, a life-threatening situation, when you've just experienced an accident or a natural disaster or we're about to go to war against someone, in the midst of a crisis, almost everyone prays, no matter what they do the rest of their life, in those moments they pray. But for a disciple of Christ, prayer is never just something we pull out in a time of crisis. Prayer is a lifestyle. Yes, it's good to pray at church. It's good to pray during your morning devotions. It's good to pray before your meal times. It's good to pray before you go to bed. But prayer should be something that accompany all the moments of your life. Your day should be an ongoing dialogue with the Lord. If you truly believe the most basic promise of the covenant of grace, which is that the Lord is with us. He's with us every moment of every day. And again, that's a lifetime of learning to apply that truth that I walk before the face of God in every moment of every day. Now, it is true that you do need to step apart from your life. You need to go into your prayer closet, wherever it is, some place of where you can, in a, in a focused way, talk to the Lord at length. You need that in your day. So I'm not trying to dissuade you from your morning devotions, your prayer before, when you wake up in the morning, your prayer, your extended prayer before you go to bed. I'm not trying to dissuade you from that. I'm just saying don't let that be your only prayer during the day. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, it says, Pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. If the Lord is with you in every moment of your day, then when you're stuck in traffic, it's a good time to pray. If the Lord is with you throughout the day, right after you've lost your temper and screamed at your kid, it's a good time to pray. If the Lord is with you every moment of your day when you're walking down that trail in the woods and you see some display of God's glory in his creation, it's a good time to pray. When you're watching the news and the president comes on during the news to give a speech, it's a good time to pray for the president and the leaders of your country. Your day should be an ongoing dialogue with the Lord. I have an online program schedule 
where I schedule my week. I'll, if I'm going to meet with somebody on a 2 o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon, I'll put that on my online schedule. And if I have a session meeting on Tuesday evening, I'll put that on my schedule. All my daily activities and all the people that I'm going to meet with, I put it, put it on my schedule so I can look at it and know what I'm supposed to do every day. If I were to put the Lord on my schedule, when I fill out, when I start to put in, you know, an appointment for my schedule, it has a little box there where you can check where it says all day. And when you do that, it blocks out the whole day for that person or that activity. If I were to put the Lord in my schedule, and probably I should every morning, I should click that box. I'm with him all day. And I need my day to be an ongoing dialogue with him. I've often compared prayer to being like the, the needle on a compass. The needle on a compass always points north. Now you can take your finger and you can move that needle away from north, but once you remove your finger, it goes back to north. And I've always thought that's a good illustration of what our dialogue with the Lord should be. It's not that you have to be talking to the Lord continuously. That's not what I'm talking about. You have to teach your children. You have to prepare meals. You have to you know, you're distracted by the football game. There's th things that, that are going to pull your attention away from the Lord, but when that distraction is removed, your attention should naturally, as the Spirit works in you, go back to your focus upon the Lord and your awareness of his presence with you in every moment. So that's the easy answer to the first question. When should we pray? Without ceasing. Always. At all times. That's, you know, again, I'm not saying that, that, that we're all good at that or that, that that's something that, that you're going to be able to pull off tomorrow, but it's something that your life should be working towards. That prayer be as natural to you as walking alongside your wife or your husband or your children and you have an ongoing dialogue with them as you're able. The second question is how are we to pray? And there are actually three answers to that question. How are we to pray? The first answer Paul gives, pray in the Spirit. Now, when he says pray in the Spirit, he does, he's not talking about speaking in tongues. He's not talking about some supernatural, out-of-body experience. He's talking about the normal prayer of your normal day. Praying in the Spirit means, according to the context of the rest of Scripture, and particularly the writings of Paul, it means praying with the help and with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And ultimately, it means praying in line with the will of the Holy Spirit. In chapter 5, Paul is talking about worship. I mean, he's describing some of the elements of worship in chapter 5. In verse 18, he tells the Ephesian Christians to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that you can worship the way you should. And I think he's saying the same kind of thing here. When you pray, pray in the Spirit. Seeking the help of the Spirit, seeking the guidance of the Spirit, asking the Spirit to conform your prayers to the perfect will of God. It's the same idea as ending your prayers with that very common phrase that some, that actually I have to admit, pray too often, mindlessly, ritually, is when you end your prayer, you say, in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord Jesus. When we say that, the purpose of adding that phrase to the end of our prayers is to say, I want my will to be submissive to the will of the Lord. Not my will be done, but your will be done. 
So, Lord, I'm asking you for these things, but you know what's best. And I submit my request, my desires, to your perfect will. You see, God is sovereign. God has a plan for all of human history, including every little minute detail of your life. And God's will and God's plan, God's sovereign plan for my life is perfect. And the last thing I want to be able to do is to be able to pray for something and ask God to do something different than what his perfect will is. Because I trust his will. His will is perfect. His will is not only what's best for his kingdom, his will is what's best for me. And so I don't want my prayers to be able to change God's will. I want my prayers to come increasingly into conformity with the will of God because that's what's best for me and for everyone else. And it's what's for the glory of God. What I want is for my prayers to be a way in which God brings about his will. That's one of my, one of my seminary professors says, when God sets about to do something, he always begins by moving his people to pray for what he's about to do. That's how I want my prayers to be used. I want God to do his perfect will, but I want him to use my prayers to bring it about. Just like God is going to save who he's going to save, but I want him to use my witness to be a part of bringing someone into reconciled, a reconciled relationship with their creator. I want him to use me. I want him to use my prayers for that end. In Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, it says, The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, when we quote that verse in relation to prayer, we tend to get all caught up in the idea of God, of the Holy Spirit interceding for us with groanings too deep for words and there's a mystery there what does that mean but we missed the importance of what he says at the end of that verse which he says that the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God God wants us to bring our request to him he wants to hear the desires of our heart and he understands that the desires of our heart are still tainted by self-centeredness and pride and you know, worldly concerns. But he wants us to bring our desires to him. But what the Spirit does is that he, he conforms our prayers to the will of God. He assists us in prayer. He reinterprets our prayers and brings them into conformity to the will of God. That's how the, 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 the Holy Spirit is working alongside of us as we pray. It means that we do tell the Lord what we want, but we submit to his will. And we rely upon the Holy Spirit to realign our prayers in that way. I remember many years ago, um, we were at a presbytery meeting, and one of the other respected elders in our presbytery stood up and prayed at length with great eloquence and power and passion, prayed for a project that my church was working on. My church was, was, was uh, negotiating with and, and working out the details so that we might be able to merge with another local church that was struggling. And so this elder stood up during our presbytery meeting and prayed powerfully that the Lord would bless that effort and that the churches would be strengthened through it. 
Well, the next item on the agenda, unfortunately, was for me to stand up and give a report and say that the merger was off and we weren't going to do it now. <laughs> but I fully trust that the Holy Spirit realigned and reinterpreted that prayer. The heart was right. What he wanted was good. But the details, he didn't quite have right because he couldn't see the future. He, couldn't, he didn't know everything. But the prayer was still pleasing to the Lord. And just one small example of how the Lord realigns us by the power of his Holy Spirit when we pray so that he can bring everything into conformity with God's perfect will. And what a joy, what a privilege it is to be a part of what God is doing in this world through our prayers. So that's the first way of how to pray. First answer to how to pray, pray in the Spirit. The second answer to how to pray is pray with all prayer and supplication. That's the ESV translation, but probably some better translations say it this way. Pray with all kinds of prayers and requests. When it says all prayer, it means all kinds, all different kinds of prayer. What Paul is doing here is he, he's calling us to a healthy, balanced, ongoing conversation with the Lord. Not just a one-dimensional wish list of our own personal wants and desires. Scripture, especially the book of Psalms, and if you're really struggling to learn how to pray, spend a lot of time in the book of Psalms because the book of Psalms is given to us for many purposes. It, it's a worship book for the church, but it's also a book of prayers. And it's given as, as wonderful, beautiful examples of what kind of prayers please God and bring honor to him. And in the Psalms, we see all kinds of different prayers. Sure, we see a lot of prayers of praise and worship, adoration to God. But we also see prayers that are primarily about thanksgiving. We see prayers that are laments, laments over personal sin, laments over the sins of God's people, laments over the state of the fallen world. We see prayers that are confession of sin. Psalm 51 is probably the, the, the quintessential textbook for how to pray a prayer of confession of sin. And we learn from the Psalms that we are to pray for others. Prayers of intercession. A lot of people use that acrostic, if you've never heard of it, if you're relatively new to the church. But a lot of Christians use that acrostic, A-C-T-S, Acts. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And it can get kind of ritualistic, it can be get kind of formalistic, and you certainly can misuse that acrostic, but, but the, the point behind it is right, is that when you pray, don't just jump to a list of things you want for yourself or even for others, but pray a balanced prayer. Take some time, and it's not easy. It's something that's not natural to us, but take some time to begin with praise and worship. Learn how to do that, and let the scriptures teach you. Again, the Psalms are great at that. Take some time to confess in, like we do in our worship services. It's important to recognize your need of the grace of God and of your ongoing sinfulness and your dependence upon the blood of Christ to cleanse you of all sin. It's good to bring your request to God in the context of a more healthy and balanced prayer. As the Holy Spirit matures us, he sharpens and strengthens the focus of our prayers. It's good to pray as part of your prayers, give us today our daily bread. Lord, we depend upon you to meet our physical needs, our material needs. It's good to pray those prayers. 
But the priority in our prayer should be upon the kingdom of God. As Jesus taught us, seek first the kingdom of God. And all these other things will be added to you as well. God's name is to be hallowed. Pray for that. That's actually a very interesting prayer. If you've ever tried to use the Lord's Prayer as a guide for your prayer, when you say, prayer, when you say the prayer, Lord, hallowed be your name, may your name be honored. May your name be glorified. Think about the things in the culture around you that would have to change in order for that to be true. That's a powerful prayer. Hallowed be your name. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What a powerful prayer. Think about the different applications of that request. Forgive us our sins. Lead us not into temptation. You see that spiritual warfare element that's, that's contained even in the Lord's prayer. Lead us not into temptation. Lord, protect us from the evil one. Help us to stand firm in the midst of the spiritual attacks that are against us every day. And then Paul gives a third answer to how, how to pray in, at the end of verse 18. Pray to keep alert with all perseverance. Keep alert with all perseverance through prayer. Alertness, watchfulness, soberness. These are words that are used often in the New Testament for the attitude that we are to have throughout every day. To be spiritually aware of who we are, where we are, who we serve, and who is against us. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples in Luke 21. He said, watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. Stay awake at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. In the Garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus went to face his probably most intense spiritual battle before the cross, he said to his disciples, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Keep alert with all perseverance, as Paul says here. Paul talks about this in 1 Thessalonians 5. I love the language here. He says, let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. You see how he connects prayer with the armor of the Lord again in 1 Thessalonians 5. But he says that prayer is essential for being awake and sober. And he's not talking about physical sobriety here. He's talking about spiritual sobriety, being spiritually alert to the reality, the spiritual reality that you live in every day. To be drunk, to be sleepy spiritually is to be intoxicated with the things of this world. To be fixated upon the things of this world. To be weighed down, as Jesus said, with the cares of this life. Stay alert. How do you stay alert? By prayer. Persevering in prayer is waiting upon the Lord. You stay alert by persevering in prayer. And persevering in prayer means to wait upon the Lord. Your timing is almost never the same as the Lord's timing. He is always going to answer your prayer with, with one of three answers. Yes, no, or wait. 
And waiting on the Lord is an important spiritual discipline. To not move forward without any sense of what the Lord is doing. You want him to lead. You need to wait upon him. And when you continue to pray, you are not pestering the Lord. You're not nagging the Lord when you say the same prayer day after day after day. Now, maybe you are. If you are, cut it out. That's not, what you're, that's not why you're repeating your prayers. You're not trying to, to, you know, to pull the, the handle on the machine to get the outcome that you want if you keep pulling it enough times. You're not trying to convince the Lord to do what you want him to do. That's not why you repeat the same prayer every day if you haven't seen the answer yet. The reason you repeat the prayer every day is say, Lord, today I'm going to trust in you for this too. I trusted, in you, I trusted you for it yesterday. I'm going to trust you for it today. And I'll pray again tomorrow to trust you for it tomorrow. It's an act of humility and continual dependence upon the Lord. That's why you persevere in prayer. Why you should pray and not give up, as, Paul, as Jesus said when he told the parable of the persistent widow. It's renewing your trust in him and his power and his will every day. And then finally, we are to pray in the Spirit. We are to pray in the spirit. We are to pray in all kinds of prayers. We pray with perseverance. Those are the three ways in which we are, in when Paul, how Paul answers this question, how are we to pray? In the spirit, with all kinds of prayers, and with perseverance. The third question he answers is for whom are we to pray? And he says you are to pray for all the saints. Now, it doesn't mean don't pray for your enemies. Certainly, Jesus tells us elsewhere to pray for our enemies even. But the priority of your prayers is for the church for the saints, for your brothers and sisters in Christ. He's referring here to the high priority of intercessory prayer. To intercede before the Lord on the behalf of others. To pray for them. King Saul once asked the prophet Samuel to pray for him. And Samuel answered him by saying, Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. It is a sin to not pray for others. That is the perfect will of God that we intercede for others. A self-centered life makes for self-centered prayers. Self, Other-centered prayers will change a self-centered life into an other-centered life. You begin putting others first and putting their needs before your own by praying for them as a priority. In Hebrews chapter 7 talks about how Christ has died for our sins, paid the price that we, our sins deserved, went through the penalty of hell that we deserve on our behalf so that we could be reconciled to God. And because Christ has died for our sins, been raised for our justification, we know that God hears us when we pray. And now it says that as Christ is ascended to the right hand of the Father in heaven, it says in Hebrews 7 that Christ always lives to make intercession for us. So what does it mean to be Christ-like? To make intercession for others. Christ always lives to make intercession for us, so we should be like Christ and make intercession for others. It's an important part of our individual ministry. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, Paul's applying that to all of life, but it certainly applies to your prayers. 
I just want to point out to you how Paul prayed for the Ephesian Christians. Listen to the content of his prayers. He prays, he has two prayers that he actually records in the letter to the Ephesians. The first one is in chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, where he prays that having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. And then over in chapter 3, and beginning in verse 14, he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Just notice the priorities there of what he's praying for for others. Yes, they have physical needs. Yes, they have relationship needs. And it's good to pray for those things. But the priority of his prayer is their spiritual well-being, for their faith, for their hope, for their love. That's what he prays for, for others. That's the focus. Praying for each other will strengthen the health and the unity of our congregation. It's important that we pray for each other. And I'm going to take just a moment to address those of you who rarely ask others to pray for you. When you do not, when you're not willing to ask others to pray for you when you are in need, particularly in spiritual need, then you are actually weakening the body of Christ. You're robbing your brothers and sisters of the blessing and the opportunity to minister by praying for you. And you are weakening the church. Now, I know there's a lot of reasons. I'm kind of a private person. It's hard for me to ask people to pray for me because I just have a natural and sinful tendency to be too private about my own life. I understand that that makes it hard for you to ask people to pray for you if that's the way you are, if you're like me in that regard. I understand that some of you have had bad experience in churches or in Christian small, you know, in small groups and gatherings of Christians where people use prayer requests in an inappropriate way to get attention for themselves. And there are, people, there are Christians who will do that, and that makes some of the rest of us less likely to ask for you know, prayer because we don't want to be like that. And sometimes it's just a genuine, we don't want to burden other people with our problems. They've got enough problems of their own. There's, you can have lots of reasons why you don't ask people to pray for you. But you need to work on that. You need to be open about your life. You need to let your brothers and sisters into your life, and you need to give them the opportunity to pray for you because that strengthens the unity and the, and the, the spiritual health of your church. Paul doesn't hesitate to ask for prayer for himself. Did you notice that? That's the end of chapter 6. Paul's asking for prayer for himself. It, look at verse 19. He says, pray also for me that words may be given me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. He's an ambassador in chains. He's a prisoner as he writes these things. He, this is his first imprisonment in Rome, the one that's talked about at the end of the book of Acts. He had a relative degree of freedom compared to later imprisonments and other imprisonments. But 
he was chained. He was uh, a prisoner of the Roman Empire. And notice how he asks people to pray for him. He says, I'm going to send Tychicus. Tychicus was one of his associates that was ministering with him there in Rome. He's, and Tychicus, we think, was actually probably a native of, of Ephesus. So he's sending Tychicus back to Ephesus with this letter. He's also going to carry the letter to the Colossians and the letter to Philemon. And as he goes back to these churches, he's going to tell them, he says, according to what Paul says here, so that you may know how we are. Paul wants the churches, his brothers and sisters in Christ, to know how he's doing, to know his suffering, to know what he's going through, so that they can pray for him. But notice how he asked them to pray. He doesn't ask them to pray that he be released. Now, that's not wrong to pray, and I'm sure they did pray that he be released from prison. But that's not his priority. He assumes they'll probably ask for things like that. But his priority is on the kingdom of God. He doesn't ask for comfort. He doesn't ask for health and wealth and prosperity for himself. He says, pray that words may be given to me to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel. You see, Paul's identity, his calling, he understood himself to be an ambassador to, of Christ, to represent Christ and to speak for him. And he knew that the calling that the Lord Jesus gave to him from the book of Acts was to turn people from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. He understood the spiritual danger and reality that he faced every day. And so he prays that the Lord would enable him to do his calling well. That's an evangelist prayer, to pray for the Lord to give you clarity and courage as you proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, you need the Holy Spirit. You can prepare the best, most clear and concise gospel message you've ever prepared to share with somebody else, but the Holy Spirit's got to be working in that person for those words to be effective. And the Holy Spirit knows what that other person needs in order to hear the word in a way that's going to meet their need and reach them where they are. And that's why the Holy Spirit's got to go before you when you go to proclaim the word. So when you pray for clarity and courage, you're praying for the Spirit to prepare the people you're going to talk to, to interact with, to hear the words of Christ that you're to share. And Paul saw his suffering and his confinement as a platform for pointing people to Christ. He knew that he'd be interacting with Roman authorities, with the guards, the other prisoners, the people who visited him. He says, this is so important, I need you to pray for me. And this is not the only place. In a number of letters that he wrote, he says, pray for me. Charles Spurgeon was once asked in the height of his ministry in the late 1800s, he was asked, what is the, what's the, the, the secret? What's the, the secret to your success in ministry? And he said, my people pray for me. I pray that that will be true for every preacher who's ever in the pulpit of this church, that, that he's successful with clarity and courage proclaiming Christ because you pray for him regularly, faithfully. We are at war. That's what Paul wants. That's the image Paul wants to leave in our mind as he closes this letter to the Ephesians. We are at war and we need to put, our, put on the armor of God and the way we do that is to be in continual prayer to him. George Barna, who made a career, has made a career of 
surveying and studying the church, this is one of his assessments overall. He says, a healthy church is a praying church as determined by the number of people who pray, the frequency with which they pray, the intensity with which they pray, and the joy they experience from their prayers. A church's faith can be determined by the condition of its prayer life. It's that important. Archie Parrish was someone who was real important in my development as a, as a pastor and a preacher. And Archie once said to me, he said, the church is not a peacetime nonprofit organization to be managed. It is a wartime army engaged in fierce battle with the enemy. And if that's the way you see yourselves, it's going to drive you to your knees in prayer. Prayer is how we, in the trenches on the front lines of the battle, communicate with our commanding officer and how we call upon him to give us the resources we need to be effective in battle. I'm just asking you make prayer a priority in your life as an individual and as your role as part of this church fellowship. We pray in Christ's name. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for... The, the, the privilege of coming to you in the name of Christ. Thank you for the privilege of being heard in spite of the many sins in our lives that we know that you, have, you hear us, you accept us, and you look favorably upon our prayers, not only because of the finished work of Christ at the cross and his resurrection, but because the Holy Spirit, by your promise, helps us, brings our prayers into line with your will. Lord, I pray for all of us, even though we all feel inadequate in this most important part of our life, I pray that as a result of spending time in your word today, we would be more committed to growing and improving and, and drawing near to you by this precious privilege you've given. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.